My name is Kyra, and I'm first-generation Ghanaian-American, raised in Texas, raised on the East Coast, glazed in Spain and Latin America, and based out of Brooklyn. Join me as I interview extraordinary human beings from across the globe as we discuss all the stories we share through comedy, agony, and curiosity, of course. Hey, Aquava. It the same. I said hello, and how are you? And if you know what that means, you know what language that is as well. It's Chui, out of Ghana. So this episode's really near and dear to my heart because we're talking to Gabe, a fellow Ghanaian, who is going to talk to me about his story and the life and times of Gabriel. <laughs> um, he has had quite the story. His family repatriated him as a young age, which is what many Ghanaians do to make sure your child has access to the culture. And he is also going to discuss what it is to raise a son in this culture and being a black man. And as we all know, that is a sordid and difficult obstacle in itself. So sharpen your ears, get ready, because it's about to be a good story. Enjoy, and I'll see you in there. Hello, listeners. Hello, hello, hello. We are here today with Gabe, and he is going to give us a little background. You're going to state your first and last name, where you work, um, what being an immigrant or immigrant immigrant means to you, and all of those things that you find important for the listeners to know. So okay. let us know. All right. Uh, my name is Gabriel Nunu. Um, I am in a tech field. Um, been doing it about 10 years now. Um Pretty much what immigrant means to me is someone who, of course, migrates from somewhere else, another country, comes in, try to settle in, get adjusted to the system, the culture, um, try to get acclimated in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this interview also has been kind of like a long time coming, uh, conflict of schedule, but we're here, we're making it happen, so I'm excited. I'm excited as well, um, and particularly my brethren, because I've been <laughs> talking to a lot of people who are West African, Togo, Cote d'Ivoire, but like finally some from Ghana is really important to me, right. um, and just because it's it, it's a storyline that I'm familiar with, right. and I have family members who've undergone that, so tell me about you like what is when did you immigrate what happened what was the whole push and pull okay um so my my background is a little bit different i was born here but i did go back and live in ghana for some years um my dad came here in 1972 came here as a young guy came to study school in the bronx got his chemical engineer degree um met my mom went back home met my mom got married came back they had me i was here um just a little toddler playing around. I became a handful. You know, you got young immigrant parents who are in the country trying to get adjusted to the system, the culture. So, you know, with raising a toddler at the same time was kind of like a like a task for them. So my grandma, my late grandma, agreed to, you know, take me in for those several years. So from the ages of three to six, I was living in Ghana, back in Ghana, mm. West Africa. So my primary foundation roots were back home. And then I came back here and try to adapt and to also get acclimated to the culture. So that whole experience was uh, very interesting because feeling like when I came in, I thought that I didn't know myself to be an American. I thought that I was someone from Ghana 
because going to being at such a young age, I I social myself as being a West African kid. So coming into American culture, trying to understand the language, um, the lingo, the cold weather, all those things was like a, a culture shock for me. So um, going through that experience was very, very difficult. But then I did adjust. I remember one um, instance, like going to McDonald's for the first time. And my dad was like, um, oh, this is a hamburger. And I'm like, what is this? And immediately I ate the sandwich and I was like, yuck, this is nasty. I don't want it. So then he threw it away. Then we went for another drive. I was like, Dad, I didn't want to try McDonald's again. Did the same thing. Kept wasting it. And he's like, last time I was like, no, I'm not I'm not buying this for you. So one day we actually went out to town. I said, Dad, you know, I want to try this sandwich. First time having a McDonald's hamburger, ate it, was able to stomach it. And stuff like that started getting adjusted. Like even little things like a can of soda. Never had a can of soda. So drinking soda like instantly like make me want to bring it back up so had to get adjusted to like those things because I was just used to like just very local basic foods and things like that so all those things were like was different you know trying to get adjusted trying to get acclimated to the culture the people mm-hmm. and the ways of life so what are the local basic foods in Ghana like for listeners who don't know most of the local biggest foods are something we call uh we, we have something called kenke uh it's a it's a very popular sta- staple it's a staple within the <laughs> i would guess the gan culture it's mm-hmm. like it could be a breakfast dungeon and dinner mm-hmm. uh delicacy uh, we have a uh, fufu we have rice we have yams we have you know different stews and things like that so that's what's normally eaten so those foods are like prepared freshly every day it's not something that's like you go to the store and you like you know you pick it up and hold it in the fridge for a couple of days so it's very fresh no preservatives so eat it one day it's gone the same day next day it's spoiled so kind of like you know the preservatives that are not in the food as opposed to here so yep and so okay so you were three to six which is pretty pivotal time to be in another country as a kid mm-hmm. um they say that children start to absorb languages in exactly. their culture environment exactly seven so you your identity exactly. is completely different very different because for me like the, that age i was learning two main languages the Gan language and the tree language mm-hmm. and english mm-hmm. so i was taking on three languages because you know being there you had kids who spoke one language so in order to communicate with them i had to keep up with them mm-hmm. you know speaking another language to communicate them I had to keep up with them and then you have english so all those things trying to balance and juggle those languages was something that i i went through so coming back here and then primarily only speaking English, it was a little bit different. So I had to catch myself at times mm. when I was speaking to my friends here. And maybe I was going to say something in a local language. I'm like, oh, they don't know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I would like pause and you know, pull back. So mm-hmm. those things were one of the interesting challenges that I faced, you know, coming back here. And then so what about. OK, so you additionally something that's really actually <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, something that I think is pivotal, I've only gone to Ghana once, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going to go again and, right. I'm, and again and again, okay. is realizing you go to a country where it's all black people. Yeah. And then you move to America and there's all these white people or Latin or like people from all over. But yeah. it's it's different. Yeah, it is different. <laughs> and like I said, just being in a country where it's predominantly all blacks, mm-hmm. you know, just all black culture. And for us, for me, being a kid. Uh, my dad would come when he would come down he would bring like tapes of you know vcr shows of what's going on in america and i'll be watching these shows and i'm seeing all these people so i had this idea that when i i didn't even know i was ever going to come here when i did come in i realized okay i'm in this place that i was watching tv shows about so what is it like now so i'm here and i'm seeing the people and i'm you know like i'm 
actually having like you know interactions with Caucasians. I mean, growing up in Ghana, you did see Caucasians here and there, but it was very rare, rare and seldom. So like being here and like actually seeing them on a regular basis and mm-hmm. stuff like that, it was very very different. You know, just to kind of come across that. Mm-hmm. And um, and besides that, like. I just feel like it's so pivotal that that you were there so young and then you came back to the states because mm-hmm. you're in like the first grade now. By the time you come back, right? Yeah, first or yes, I'm in the first grade. Yeah. Did you, did you like skip a year? I did not. I came. I came in at the right time because mm-hmm. of my age. So I came in on six. So mm-hmm. I started the school year off and I did start first grade, mm-hmm. and I was here. So that was an adjustment for mm-hmm. me. Um, culturally, it was an adjustment because mm-hmm. I remember. So it was a funny thing that my mom would say that. You used to be in school in the classrooms, and you would be singing TV shows. Yeah, that's what I did. Like I was so like, I guess it was a culture shock being mm. in America. I'm like, wait, I'm in this place. So I'll be like, like different strokes and all these things. I'll be singing like all the jingles and the tunes in class, and that's the reports that the teacher would say. Like, oh, Gabe's in school today, but he's singing like TV shows and jingles and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, you have to do your work. Mm. And um, it's a funny story about me was that um, I didn't really realize what's going on because mm. schooling back home and gone is mm-hmm. different from here and i think for a kid like me i was used to so much structure and discipline mm-hmm. because you know back home in the schools you know when you do something you're disciplined for it and here it was like you know when kids do things they were just talked to and that was it and i was like oh this is all that happened so it kind of created a little bit of looseness for me because i was like well nobody's really on me the way they would be on me back home and i just kind of was like at one point not doing my work not taking care of business and I actually was like, they were my mom and dad was like, "Hey, if you don't do your work, they're gonna they're gonna make you uh, stay back." And I'm like, I don't know what stay back means. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I was still given the opportunity mm-hmm. to go to summer school because mm-hmm. they wanted to leave me back. Oh, you know, so mm-hmm. report card was saying, you know, he's not too he's not mm-hmm. too focused, mm-hmm. not too attentive. Mm-hmm. My grades were low. Mm-hmm. Said so go to summer school. So my mom and dad said, "Listen, if you don't do well in summer school, you're gonna stay back." I still don't know what that means. So I'm still. Doing the same thing, not really taking care of business. Mm-hmm. So I did stay back. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was the next year, school year, I was in the same grade. And I was like, wait, why am I here? Why are my mates in the other grade? So, oh, you weren't doing your work. So, oh, that's what you people meant. So I was like, so all I started, I started boom, boom, boom. We started knocking mm-hmm. on my work. So, oh, he does know his work. So mm-hmm. he tested me out and he put me back in my right grade. So stuff like that was like, you know, that whole mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. Uh, shock was like, you know, it was different for me. And that's huge because I think a lot of children deal with that. You know, yeah. if their parents or they speak a different language, often educators see it as they're not listening, they're not listening or they're exactly. are not engaged. But really it's that they're viewing the world in a different way. They're very much so it. different, yeah. That transition period is very, very different, especially for a young kid. It's like you're really trying to come into your own. And, you know, most of the kids, if they, if they hear, mm-hmm. sometimes kindergarten, you go to school with a couple of people. Then mm-hmm. you kind of come up and do first grade and those things. But if we're just coming from a whole different country at that era. And it was different. And, and we're talking about in the early 80s. It I was know. totally different. And I remember being in a class and people like, you know, because what they see on TV, they'll ask you, um, are you a boy or a girl? Because... Mm-hmm. You know, because people in our, in our homeland, the women wear their hair shaved, so they're trying to figure out, <laughs> are you a boy, you're a girl, you know, mm-hmm. do you stand English? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hold the terminologies that went on, you know, they call you names mm-hmm. and you don't understand. It's like, you're just nodding your head and you're just like shaking and, you know, where we come from, like, we're, mm-hmm. we're all about mannerisms. So, we're like, we're always polite, we're smiling and... Mm-hmm. You know, I remember walking home from school and it's like, you know, some of the kid, neighborhood kids would be picking on me. And I'm like, I don't know why they why they bother me. Mm-hmm. And um, there's one instance where it was like three, three group of kids. 
every day, mess with me, mess with me, mess with me. And we just tease and tease and tease. So I was like, you know, I think one day I just really got tired of it. And I think my neighbor, not my neighbor, my babysitter was watching from upstairs from the window. Mm -hmm. So she's like, you know what? She watched me. Like, these three kids would just always bother me. Mm -hmm. I think I had enough. I was like, today is a day where I'm not taking no more of their of their nonsense. So I was like, I just took the kids on, like, one by one. And just, you know, just we got into a fight. And I just I just beat up all three kids. And it was like, you know what? We're not messing with Gabe anymore. So it's like, there's like, those one of the things where you just got to, mm-hmm. you know, stand your ground. So mm-hmm. it's one of the things like, it's like you're transitioning mm-hmm. and also you want to blend in, but you mm-hmm. don't, you don't make too much noise. You want to cause too much static. So you're just trying to find your way and trying mm-hmm. to find your bearings. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, and that's stressful yeah. as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because in those regards, in that like place, mm-hmm. a parent really can't make, like, can't help you. They can't like, help you. No, no adult figure can help you because yeah. they're not there on the playground. Like yeah. the kids are bothering Exactly. You know? Exactly. You got it's one of those things like you got to fend for yourself. You got to mm-hmm. fend, and this is that's what America is. America mm-hmm. is about survival of fitness. Got to fend for yourself, and you kind of get that at an early age, especially when you're coming in from a different culture because mm-hmm. you stick out. You stick out like a lollipop, like a sore thumb. You mm-hmm. just really stick out. So people can just identify. Hey, yeah, that's him. And especially you got the you're, and you're the kid in class with the funny last name. Mm-hmm. So you know it's like it's easier, easy target. So I think a lot of kids during that time went through that stuff. Mm, yeah, and. Uh, that's stressful too, as well. Just yeah. like that type of anxiety that you're dealing with, where your parents also dealing with the whole assimilation as well. Were they like stressed out, or how were they feeling about it? I think what my me and my dad was here since he was so young. He's mm. in the seventies. He's got he got acclimated, mm. and they were adults, so it's probably a little bit different for mm. them. But like having children and mm. not knowing like okay what's going on mm. in school or what's mm. going on during the day for us is probably like more like maybe that was more the challenge. And then for me, I was very like to myself in reserves so i didn't really speak up in terms of what was happening mm. to me so when i did speak up, it was like hey why didn't you say something sooner and then it's like you know then go down to the school and you don't know, talk to teachers mm-hmm. and stuff like that because you didn't want to create too much trouble you know you know bring too much attention to a lot of situations but um it's 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 a bit challenging mm-hmm. it's a bit challenging and in terms of uh in terms of the fact, you know, parents are dealing with their own stresses, you're dealing with their own stresses, what was it like in school for you? Were there other kids? Were there other black kids? Were there other West African kids or no? There were other black kids. I mean, there were other kids from other countries. Mm. I think more, more so the islands. Mm-hmm. So not that so much, sense. yeah, not yeah. so much, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Africa. Mm-hmm. It was more the islands. I think if in the late, well, early 90s, that's mm-hmm. when we saw migra- more migration of people from West Africa mm-hmm. more so. But in the early 80s, I was like a speckle. Yeah. It was really a speckle of us. Gotcha. Yeah. So basically, n- distinctive name, not yeah. many other people. Everyone's probably grouping you all together as black when we all know mm-hmm. that's just not how that works. Exactly. And for the listeners, what is, what is the difference in between Caribbean and African and West African and and um, black american what is your what are your what is your thoughts on that um i didn't really know there there was a difference until mm-hmm. i got older in terms of knowing that okay mm-hmm. this part of the world that don't really associate themselves with africa mm-hmm. you know coming here and i'm like i see black children like myself mm-hmm. but they see me as a foreigner and not one of them so it's like you see that distinct line in the sand mm-hmm. and i think the culture also help play a partner because i'm coming for more of a strict structured background than most of these kids from the inner city mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know they have like you know their home setups mm-hmm. are different from mine so it's like you know you see the difference you know especially when i would after school go visit some of my um friends and go visit the house and i'm like whoa this is totally different you know 
moms are very like relaxed they talk to the kids mm -hmm. anyhow and i'm like there's no way my mom could talk to me like this or allow me to do some of the things that they're allowed to do so you know right then and there this is what makes me different it makes that's what makes you know makes both of us different this is what sets us apart so those are things that you know you come across and especially with them like i said later meeting other kids from like the caribbean mm -hmm. And you will see a little bit. So the Caribbeans, what I saw was like they kind of mirrored a little bit of the African or West African uh, culture because they were they were also strict too. But you you tend to relate more to them, and because they had a structured background. So with my quote unquote African American friends, it was different, it was just more loose, carefree. But with the maybe from Haiti or Jamaica or Guyana or those places like that was more structured, but like I said, they would have an accent. So I would also think that, are they from Africa too? But you know, they're not from Africa. They're like from another offset, which I didn't know anything about the Caribbean. Like I said, the only thing I knew was Africa, Ghana, and I'm here in America. So I didn't know there's other places in the world where people kind of have the same ideologies as us. And when did you, when would you say you started to notice that the ideologies were different for people, from people within the African diaspora? When did you really start to be like, okay, this is, besides going to people's houses, mm -hmm. when do you think that you realize and, and society around you also realize? You know, my, and like I said, I tell you again, my story is a little bit interesting because like I said, I, three to six, mm -hmm. and then I did a return. Ooh, I did not know this part. Exactly. I did a return. So this is me now. Gabe's adjusted to the cultures, adjusted to the ways of life. Mm -hmm. He's getting acclimated. He's got friends. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, I went back. Ooh. I went back to Ghana and then stayed again for another about two years from eight to 10. Okay. So I came back in 1990. So when I came back, it was like most of my friends who remember me, like, hey, Gabe, where are you at? And I'm back. Now I'm not back with the kid with just, you know, who had an accent, you know, like a West African accent, English accent. Now came back and I have like a more what quote unquote American accent. I just reverted back to that to the kid with the African accent. Cause okay. it was like, so, so for me it's like, okay, I felt like I was a stranger between two lands because when I was, when I was here and I came, I had, you know, I was a kid who stuck out. Then when I went back, now I'm the American kid who stuck out in Ghana. So it was like, you know, it's, it, it was like, then I was like, how do I adjust? So it's like my language, how I speak. So I speak and started speaking, I guess what's the, the proper Ghanaian English. And that's what I started speaking. So I adapted to that. Mm. Then I come back. Again, and now here I am, the stranger in the land, because now I'm speaking Ghanaian English, and my kids and my friends are like, "Why are you speaking like this? What, what happened to you?" And I'm just, I can't even explain like what it is that that made me do that, but it's just it, it got stuck with me. So I, like I said, around those late '90s time is when it was like I noticed the shift between a lot of uh, people from like the Caribbeans and, and uh, different parts of the world coming in, and that's when I noticed like you know what, we are more closer, even though they have a different accent than my parents or where I come from. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What was I doing? Hold on. Mm -hmm. All right. So, all right. So you went back twice, and that does twice. make you different. Yeah. Because you you've acclimated. You've become like this American game, mm -hmm. and then you go to Ghana, and they're like, "Well, you kind of sound American, but you're like, oh, no, I used to live here. Like yeah. I grew up here. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I and I'm still growing up. Yeah. So how do people in Ghana like perceive you? So when okay, so they perceive me as an American. And of course, you know, they have terms. They call it, you know, you know, Brody or something, yep. something of that nature. Uh, but and it's that like Brony for me when I heard that I was like, Yeah, I know. It's, it's like a Brony, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're white. <laughs> so they see you as a white man, a white English. Mm -hmm. So it's like when I was in school again, it's like I said, I went mm -hmm. back, so I started going to school. So now this time more so the international schools had, you know, Caucasians mm -hmm. in it. So whether they were Europeans or most of them were all Europeans, mm -hmm. either Germany, 
you know, UK, mm-hmm. Scotland, wherever it was, and, and they'll see another, they'll see a white kid, but hey, Gabe, do you know her? Do you know him? Because their mindset is that you're in America, mm-hmm. so these are your people, so you should know them. And they knew I was a kid from America. So they would see me, and it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's him. He's from America. They didn't see me as one of their own. Mm. But that's kind of alienating, no? It, it, it does become alienating because I say you're stuck between two worlds where in one world, you're not part of them. And then you come back to another world, like you're not part of us. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of sitting in this like limbo to trying to figure out, okay, where do I belong? You know, because you went, you come back, you went, you came back. So it was like in two words, like, who are you? So that's what they want to know. And what did, did any teachers notice that you felt like a little alienated? This, was there any type of like school psychologist is like, oh, Gabe seems a little lonely or he seems very ex- confused? In the beginning, I think in the beginning, they tried to get me, um, they tried to get me warmed up to being, especially when I went back to, when I went back to second time, they tried to get warmed up to being there because I had left that structure and I had taken on like an American style of learning and going to school and things like that. And I, I remember this one story where I went back and it was like, um, yeah, I went back, started school. I, th- I think I came in and they were having like terms, midterms or tests or something like that. So the teacher's calling out the grades. Mm-hmm. And all I see is, you know, children putting their heads down, they're crying. I'm like, why are they crying? Like, what's the big deal? You you pass, you, you failed the test, you failed, you pass, you pass. And the, the teacher just, you know, kindly called all, called all the, the kids who failed, called them to the front of the class. And like, one by one, you know, where we come from, mm. you're disciplined for us. He, he, you know, he had a cane mm-hmm. and he started just, you know, just, you know, giving them uh, beatings <laughs> and they were just all crying. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw them crying, I started crying. I'm like, and then he's like, oh, please don't weep. Don't weep. He's like, no, I want to go back. I don't want to be here because I'm like, no, like I left this, you know, and now I'm an American and I'm back to this again. So it was just like. That's terrifying. It was very terrifying. It was very terrifying. (laughs) I remember one of my, one of my, one times I think I lapsed and completed my homework and my teacher pulled me up to the class and what they do is they'll pull you up yeah and then they get the biggest kids in the classroom to hold you down so you don't run and then she gave you you know and, and that's back twisted then, very twisted <laughs> you know back then you wearing like you wearing these little shorts mm-hmm. these little tight you know tight these little, little khaki short, yeah. shorts mm-hmm. and you have those on and and i had those on and i got my lashes and it's like hey and one thing what happens in school happens at home so you didn't you didn't perform in school you got to go home you got to hear from your parents or your grandparents or whatever you're going to get it twice Oof. so that was the thing about like there it was like it was it was crazy because then i was like you know what i started getting hip to the game i started like doubling up on, on underwears and shorts just in case i was going to get beatings you know i was mm-hmm. kind of trying to prepare myself so stories like that was like you know kind of stick out and i remember them that's terrifying yeah. i didn't know that the older kids would hold you down yeah they'll hold you down they get the biggest kids in the class to hold you down because they know that you know you try to run and squirm so that way so that you way can't, you mm, can't move yeah i mean it makes sense it's just scary yeah, it's scary yeah, it's scary yeah, <laughs> it's scary. yeah. and i have definitely heard those stories from my parents and the joke would be my dad's like oh they should ha- they should hit you like i don't like yeah. we were raised to get hit the fact yeah. that you don't get hit and you get just like this little message or yeah. this little co- it's like not real it's like yeah. i don't want to be hit yeah yeah you don't want to <laughs> like, be hit but it's um yeah it's, yeah yeah it's 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 it is it is i mean it's it's terrifying for a young kid to go mm-hmm. through that. like i said you're going in going back and forth in and out and i remember like the funny thing was that i mean school has changed now but like i said in the 80s in public schools, even in America, like the teachers, you, you could, they yeah. could hit you, like mm-hmm. you know. And I remember, like you know, parents saying, "You have the permission to, you know, you know, whip, you know, be discipline my child if he's mm-hmm. out of line." And 
They did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some teachers stuck to that stuff. So it wasn't as severe as, you know, no. back. I'm not trying to make it seem like it was like mm-hmm. it was like some sort of torture. Or no, and it, it wasn't. Just, it was it's just, just, it was it's, just it's startling. Yeah, it's startling. Like yeah. you, you don't finish your homework, you're going to get smacked. Yeah, you're yeah, like, oh, yeah. and we're also going to get smacked. So you're just yeah, like, damn. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like, so everything has a consequence. Mm-hmm. So you learn that, like, you know, mm-hmm. every every action has a reaction. So you got to think before you move, you know. Yeah, I think it makes people be more strategic yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and also... I just I know between my sister and I there was more spankings for her because she's the oldest versus me exactly and so she was very I think it's just made her be very strategic with how she dealt with my parents she's like okay this happens I'm gonna get hit she's mm-hmm, like if this mm-hmm. happens I'm gonna get hit yeah yeah same <laughs> for me I was the oldest so I was like mm-hmm. I was the one that, that by example so everything that happened was by example so it was myself my sister and my cousin mm-hmm. so it was two girls and I'm the boy and I was mm-hmm. the oldest so anything that happened I was like okay you guys need to be back home by a certain time. If you're not back home by a certain time, they're not asking them. They're asking me. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that we're the oldest. You're supposed to make sure that everyone mm-hmm. leaves school and we all get home at the yep. same time and everything is taken care of. So you do, in the West African or African culture, the oldest do take on the brunt of the... the all of it. <laughs> the brunt, yeah. No, like yeah, all, all of it. it. Yeah. So I also interviewed a friend of mine who ta- who's also the oldest. And so she just carries a lot of load of... Uh, being responsible and yeah. being the example but it's it's more than just being the oldest it's like the west african eldest child mm-hmm. it's it's if you fail like if your younger siblings fail it's on you it's mm-hmm. not on yes. the parents they're like well you were supposed to help them yeah. you're supposed to guide yeah. them and train them yeah. can you talk a little bit about that yeah like like you said like that that responsibility is put on you where you are at sometimes a young age you are like a like a junior parent Mm -hmm. because your parents are out there and they're working and they look at you like, you know what? You're the oldest. We're looking at you to lean on. It's like, like you said, homework and, you know, different support and guidance. Those Mm -hmm. things kind of fall on your shoulders. So Mm -hmm. it does make you kind of a mini parent. Now, even with my siblings, I'm more like a father figure to them than I am like a brother. And that's how they look at me. as. So it's like, you know, yeah, that's how it kind of falls in line. Like I have four sisters, so I look at it as having like four daughters. Mm-hmm. So it was like, cause I'm the oldest, so they come to me with things, their problems, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it does, it does create that. You know, you you kind of grow up fast. Yeah, you definitely you, know, you do grow up fast. I agree with that, and and you know, I think it's. I just remember as a kid, my mom was just like, okay, Christina. And my sister was 9.5 years older than me. Mm-hmm. So she, it was like, okay, Christina, make sure that she's eaten and that take her to a place. My sister was like, I don't know why I have to do this because mm-hmm. she was the only West African child for, for, for days. So she's like, none of my friends with younger siblings have to do this. I have to do everything for her. Like mm-hmm. make sure she's dressed, make yep. sure she does this. Yep. Um, and you know, and there's still very a motherly aspect to our relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's fascinating because everyone I talk to is like, yes, I'm the oldest and I have to do all of these things. Yeah. If they come to stay with me, I have to do everything. Yeah. I have to make sure they're... Exactly. And it does make you grow up fast, yeah. but it also makes you be mature. Like you're mature. Responsible. You're mature. You're responsible. You do. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a it's just a way of life. It's a cultural pass mm-hmm. down. I'm sure for them, that's, that's what they were given. Mm-hmm. Whether your parents were the oldest or the youngest, they understand that someone took care of somebody. If your parents mm-hmm. were the oldest and they... Pretty much, they took care of someone, mm-hmm. either younger brother, yeah. sister. If they were the youngest, they were taken care of, mm-hmm. so they appreciate that. So they like, you know, they want that for mm-hmm. their children. They exactly. want that, you know, like okay, if he or she's the oldest, at least be able to step in, you know, and assist. Mm-hmm. And my mother was the oldest, so she remembers taking care of everybody. And then my dad was oldest in his group, so mm-hmm. or like the second oldest. So he just. He's always, they're both very much in that um, corner as well. So it's very interesting to hear that. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about being like a boy in Ghana versus being a girl? Because mm-hmm. that is a whole thing. Like it's a whole thing about mm-hmm. being 
like the different genders and then right. also you're the oldest and you've gone back and forth from mm-hmm. Ghana to the States. Like how were you treated in Ghana versus when you were treated in America, like as a boy, like did your relatives treat you differently? Were you treated differently in the States? Like what was that whole situation like? Um, I think, well, back home in Ghana is just a young boy. Mm-hmm. You, like I said, you were talking about before, like that mm-hmm. responsibility level does come on even at a young age. So you're allowed to be a kid and mm-hmm. play to a certain extent, like, but, you know, but also you like had to, you know, do things. If you like, you did have younger siblings like I did, like myself had my sister who was like three years younger than me, mm-hmm. who was right behind me. So like you had to be like, you know, like the big brother role, the watching out, the taking care of, making sure things are okay for everyone. And, you know, the, the, the responsibility comes up, you know, plays along. It's like, you know, you're told that you're a man at a young age mm-hmm. and you do take on like man responsibilities at a young age. So those things kind of, you know, are instilled in you. But when you come here and it's like, okay, you're told, Hey, here's the kid, like, like chill, relax. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. huh? so it's like, you know, you're trying to really figure out and then, then taking a step back, even in your household, because in your household, you're treated one way, mm-hmm. but outside in the world, you're treated another way. And so it's like, you know, what do you lean towards? Should I lean towards the fact that I'm a kid and I should be carefree and playing? Or do I lean to the fact that, you know, hey, you know, you're the youngest male, I mean, the oldest male in your house. So it's like, you know, we are looking, you know, for you, for your support system in terms of things that are going on. Like you said, taking care of your siblings and stuff like that. So you kind of trying to figure out your way, you mm-hmm. know, you, you know, trying to figure out where you, where you, where you fit in, you know, it's about, really it's about that transition about fitting in. So I said the transition for like me is almost similar to someone who has not been born here, but came here mm-hmm. and trying to adjust because like, you know, most people's like, you're still trying to find your way. The people who are, who, you know, migrate here, they're trying to figure out the way, trying to figure out the way of life, how they fit in and how they get acclimated to the culture. Mm-hmm. So like I said, for me, it was like, I felt, you know, looking back, I felt a lot of that. And and when do you think that you felt that you would fully acclimate? Like you went to Ghana, like mm-hmm. when did you feel like you were adjusted to Ghana? Then you had to go back. Like what was the triggers? So again, for like in Ghana, mm-hmm. when did yeah. you feel like you had, cause you went twice. Yes. The second time, did you feel, uh, by the end, did you feel more Ghanaian or did you feel more American? So by the second time, I would, that was more like the whole, like coming back was like, cause I'm a little older. Mm-hmm. So now you really felt like, okay, now I'm like, you know, like an immigrant mm-hmm. in this country, uh, trying to start and trying to make my way. Even though I had new people who remember me from bef- like two year, years ago before mm-hmm. I left, mm-hmm. it still felt like, you know what, I'm still trying to find my way in this country. So then I feel like most who just come over for the first time. Mm-hmm. So it really felt like, you know, I was here for the first time, trying to get situated, trying to get adjusted to the system. Even though I had an I grasped idea of the system, it was mm-hmm. like, just felt like totally different. You know, because I feel like, you know, it was like a shift between the 80s and it was like the 90s. And the 90s like a different era. Mm-hmm. So... Like in the nineties you saw a lot of people who were migrating in as well. So it was like that you had a little bit of like a I guess a buddy system in terms of like other children who were young and coming in and you know, like I said, I would meet kids in school and they were from Haiti, mm-hmm. they were from Jamaica, they were from Guyana and they had just got here and you know, they barely spoke. So they so I just watched them like the what what they were going through, like I went through that, you know, just kinda of being quiet, not saying much in class because your accent's coming out when you're speaking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then 
they find out, okay, you're from another country too, so they feel like they can relate to you. So then you guys got to look like a little buddy system, you know. So you're me, the Ghanaian kid, and there's one Jamaican kid, <laughs> there's one Haitian kid, and there's one kid from, you know, Guyana. So it's like, mm-hmm. so we're all like mm-hmm. the, the the foreigners like per se, you know. And you, would you would you say you still have that crew from from childhood, or has that changed? And I mean, it's changed, but like I'm saying, like you, I as I've grown, I've developed like different crews, like of you know, just I guess people who've come from some other places. Whether I was in high school, whether I was in college, you know, just kind of you grew up, you know, or you, you know, grew up with these guys. You know, hey, you know, this guy's from Cameroon. He's from Nigeria. He's from Guinea. He's mm-hmm. from you know, he's from mm-hmm. Liberia. You know, we kind of just all we came together. We're just the foreigners, but we're the foreigners now who've become. I guess adopted or you know acclimated to the American you know culture and system. Mm-hmm. And going backwards a little bit, can yep. you? Um, I know you mentioned that you had that your parents had you go since you to Ghana because obviously you were young and it was mm-hmm. you know there's a larger and stronger family structure there to help you like grow yep. and adjust. Um, was this is explain to the listeners if this is like a common thing? Like because um, a lot of people would be like, why would you send your kid back? Yeah. You just moved. Yeah. Um, what was happening during that era? Because uh, I know a lot of people were doing that, but why? Yeah, I think back in those times, like, mm. you know, you have your your parents are coming in. They're also young people, and they're also trying to get adjusted. But then they also, what, they're trying to bring up a family and have a way, you know, way of life. But we have what's known as a big support system. So back home, you know, I had people like my grandmother and my aunts and my uncles who were around. So it's like, you know what? from both sides of the family that you know what it's okay bring Gabe down we'll take care of him make sure he's okay so that way they can what you know focus in and work on what they have to work I know my mom was my mom was in her 20s back then she was in school Mm -hmm. my dad was just had just finished school he started working as a professional and then you know having a young kid like me it was hard for them to balance both like you know between the work schedules and stuff like that babysitters and things of that nature and also between me being a handful as well as a toddler it's like you know what that's when they, you know, offered. But it was a common thing back then. I think now, like, looking back, a lot of people are like, no, I can't do it. I can't send my kid. I can't send my kid away, you know, to be away from me than that long, you know. But now we know better. It's like, you know, we can, you, you can make it work. But back mm-hmm. then it was like, you know, uh, the village, the village rate takes a village, village to raise a child, takes right? Takes a village to raise a child. So, you know, I just happened to my village is in another country. So I had to go back to my village so I could be raised. Mm-hmm. And and what was happening politically in Ghana around that time in like the late 80s, early 90s? What's the economic situation over there? Um, that time, you know, the the president that was in, in rule, it was um, Jerry Rollins mm. and he was in <laughs> power. So it was <laughs> like, a, like, it was a time, like, you know, it was, um, I mean, we're, Ghana's always been stable. But of course, like for, I know for me, like my dad, he was um, one who really believed in Kwame Nkrumah's ideology of, you know, go to the West, study, learn, and come back. So that was his whole thing. His thing was never really to stay here. Like, he came here on, he came here on the Kruma Scholarship. He got his chemical engineering degree. He felt like he worked a little bit, and he wanted to go back to the, to go back to the, um, go back to West Africa and help, you know, just uh, kind of, you know, help his people and, you know, and work. But, you know, he had me, and he said, he tells me that, you know what, your mom was too far along for you to, for us to travel. She was too far along in the pregnancy, or she would have been born in Ghana. Cause that was his plan. Mm. He wanted us to be born in Ghana. He wanted me to be born in Ghana. Mm-hmm. He actually wanted me like when we were living there. The reason he sent this, he wanted me to have dual citizenship. Mm. So, like, so things like you know, I want you to be know where you come from. You mm-hmm. know, this where your homeland and 
have citizenship, which I eventually, when I became an adult, I did on my own. Mm-hmm. I, you know, went and filed and got my citizenship. So I'm a citizenship, you know, dual citizen of Ghana. Nice. Which is so, nice in terms yeah. of traveling. Does it help you with all yeah, the other countries? Yeah, it helps with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't do visas and stuff like that anymore. So that helps. Mm-hmm. But, like, well, that's one of the things that he wanted. And I appreciate that because I know when I first became a professional, working professional, that's one of the things I did. I was like, you know what? I'm going to Ghana. I can go now. I can go to on my own anytime mm-hmm. I want. And that's what things I took care of. Mm-hmm. I made sure I got that documentation done. Mm-hmm. So you got that connection. You never yeah. have to like question yeah. that. And there's always this, you know, mm-hmm. connection to to Ghana. So basically, Rollins was there. He was the president. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know, people disliked him. Yeah, people disliked him. Some people just rock. You know, you hear mm-hmm. from different families. Some families yes. talk about, you know, what he did, what he didn't do. So, uh, you know, it was a toss up. But then, like I said, after a while, that toe changed and. I guess democracy finally kicked in. We started having like you know proper elections where people could be voted every four years, and so you know the the, the country changed. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the United States, eighties and nineties, we have the Reagan administration has ended. You have Clinton mm-hmm. right now, and Clinton is he's like a moderate. He's like a moderate right. Democrat. Let's not make him so liberal, but you do have this influx of foreigners and immigrants coming in from all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from all intents and purposes, the economy is growing. Mm-hmm. It's growing. There's more jobs. There's more, there there's is. more money. Uh, so what, what happened for like, how does that affect, for example, your connection to the homeland? Like, are you going home to Ghana like every couple of years Are your parents sending you there? Are they going back more? Like what's, what's happening with like your family structure and stuff? Well, for me, like, I was the one who, I mean, started going back home. Like, my dad, actually, mm-hmm. you know, when he did decide to settle and be there after being for 40 years, he's like, you know what, I'm kind of dumb. Because he used to go back and forth. So, you know, like, I'm, I'm I'm, tired. You guys are older now. You know, you're all adults. So I can go back and settle. And that's what he did. That's what he did in his later years before he passed mm-hmm. away. So he just, you know, started, settled in Ghana. And that's what he did. But I also, you know, started to go back because, like I said, I was, I felt really connected i feel really connected you know like i said even though i was born here physically you know but you know my soul and my heart everything was back home so i did feel like someone who you know was born there even like like i said i grew up i tell people like i grew up in ghana as a young kid then i came over here Mm -hmm. so like i really felt that strong tie and connection to go back and you know try to do something you know make something you know get something going on for myself you know try to join you know some you know, have different business and things like that going on for myself. And would you say that your siblings also have that strong tie? Or is it a little bit not as strong? They do now. I mean, now they really do have a strong tie because I'm being the oldest. So I was kind of one to take the lead. So they do have a strong tie now. They, of course, they love going to Ghana. They love the culture. They love the they love the food. They love everything. So they're more so grounded and connected now. Mm-hmm. And okay, so. Discussed about that, the, the situation in in America. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little bit about perception of yourself to others, and that you had created these little groups of kids and, and groups of foreigners mm-hmm. who all had looked like you, but all speak different languages, mm-hmm. and you are both immigrants, and you can kind of relate to that. Yeah. Um, how do how do like teachers and educators deal with you in that regards? Because I know when mm-hmm. when when they see that kids start to like group together, um, they almost kind of bl- block them all off of the same, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. if you see a bunch of Asian kids together, everyone's like, "Oh, they're just Asian," but really, they could be Vietnamese or Chinese. Mm-hmm. What like, what are how are you feeling? Teachers are perceiving you, or the world is perceiving you, and mm-hmm. that. Um, I think 
me growing up, like I said, because they were just like speckles of us, I didn't think they know how to deal with us because mm-hmm. they were just so used to just, especially being growing up in the inner cities of Newark, New Jersey is like just more so they were just used to just, you know, African-American, mm-hmm. black American children. That's what they were used to. But, you know, when they get these, you know, just speckles of foreigners that were coming in, it was like, oh, okay, he doesn't really speak much. He's more reserved, you know he's polite you know those things like that so those things were like different for them in that aspect but like when it came to like maybe doing our work you know we're able to do our work we didn't have a problem doing our work um but in terms of like i guess how to deal with us on a social level that was like a little bit of you know disconnected actually like you know what do you eat and because they also want to know too because it's it's different for them like Mm -hmm. oh what do you eat you know you know, what language do you guys speak? Do you guys speak English? You know, they'll actually do some of the questions like, yeah, we speak English mm-hmm. or I understand English or things like that. You know, but actually, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. yes, I do. So, like I said, for them, it was, also, it was like a we're both learning each other. They were trying to learn me. I was trying to learn them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was one of those situations. And what was, um, where is it? so just going backwards, mm-hmm. so why did your parents come here in the first place? Why not go to the U.K. or Germany? I know, like I said, for me, my dad, um, when I asked him, he was granted a scholarship. Mm-hmm. And he was granted a scholarship to come to study in the school out here in the West. And he came here. My m- grandmother worked for the airlines, Ghana oh, Airways. Okay. So coming to America for my, con- from my, sorry, for my family was not that big of a deal. Not big of a deal because, like, my, my grandma had access to come here a lot. So she w- could come here. Mm-hmm. And I believe she brought my dad here. Mm. brought my dad here and he started going to school in the Bronx he was living on his own he's working Mm -hmm. you know schooling working in schooling and then like I said he met my mom they eventually got married and Mm -hmm. then my grandmother again brought Mm -hmm. my mom to my dad Mm -hmm. to be here but so did your parents know each other before or did they meet here I think they did because my dad was so pretty much because so my mom's brother mm-hmm. and my dad were buddies, and mm-hmm. like kind of kind of one of those things. Like oh yeah, buddies, gotcha. You, yeah, your daughter, I mean your sister. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of you knew each other. Plus, like um, the distance between both houses, my grandmom's house where I grew mm-hmm. up and my mom's mom's house was not that far. It's like mm-hmm. five minutes. It's like you know, so yeah. I just I just run back and forth between mm-hmm. house to house. So mm-hmm. they're very close. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So families connected. Yep. They knew each other before mm-hmm. and. They came here to study. Like they got the scholarship. Yep. They was that scholarship given to a lot of people? Wasn't given to a lot. I think it was very select few. Mm. Right when I um when I talked to a lot of you know older men and uh, you know the baby boomers around mm-hmm. my dad's age, they'll mm-hmm. tell me, oh yeah, I came here, and some of them you know they went to Harvard, mm-hmm. they went to Princeton, and they were all a lot of guys were given, they were granted scholarships by the government to come study. So you know very a lot of smart men mm-hmm. you know came over to study, and like they said, they had the 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 mindset of you know what you know i mean go back and you know and build my country up mm-hmm. and why did they not go back though like what was they your parents sent you back twice mm-hmm. um did they send your siblings back as well your little your sisters yeah, okay. yeah back yeah well the first time was just me because i was yeah. the only one then mm-hmm. then after they came back but um mm-hmm. like i said my dad did go back he actually did mm-hmm. go back like some few years um later he went back and after that time um him and my mom had separated so like she he went back mm-hmm. and he was like you know like working on his businesses and things mm-hmm. like that because he was into chemical engineering so he learned he used to work for like avon cosmetics and he was making all these uh the the lipsticks and the mm-hmm. perfumes and the this and that so he 
he knew how to do it. So he's like, you know, I can do this back home for myself. Mm -hmm. So that's what he did. He went and bought all the manufacturing materials. He shipped it back home. He opened up his own little laboratory. Mm. He started producing, making it. He would sell it, go out to the, uh, give it to ladies in the market. Mm -hmm. And he would sell it, make his own cosmetic line. He would give it to ladies. By the mm -hmm. time he could get home, they'll call him and say, come get your money. Mm. So that's how much he was doing well for himself. He mm. just kept producing and producing and producing. Mm -hmm. So he did that for a lot of years. Oh, so he had his own factory and everything. Yeah, his own factory, his own plant. He was mm. mixing. I used to watch him as a kid. I didn't know what he was doing. He just in there had these big giant mixers, this, that, that, this. And he had the, the boxes to like package like the, the lipsticks mm -hmm. and, you know, like, Ladies, you know, the lips, how the yeah. lips is coming, all that mm -hmm, stuff mm -hmm. was sealed up in perfumes and this. I'm like, I didn't know what he was doing. Like, I didn't know he was like, that was his thing. Mm -hmm. So I really, you know, learned later that's what he was into. Oh, okay. And is, is, is this, um, is this company still around? No, it's not around because that was his company. That's and I'm not, I'm not no chemical engineer. I don't mix, <laughs> I'm not no scientist. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how to, you know, do that stuff. But when I, um, in his house, we still have like, in his, and he still has like his, um, his little like factory part of mm. it. It still has all this, all his equipment is still there. Oh wow! Yeah, all the mixers and all the things like that. And like I just look at it, I was like, yeah, that's what he used to do. Mm, you could sell it for like a yeah, like I a guess relic. sell it, but it'd be more like sentimental. <laughs> yeah, be sentimental. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, all right. So moving for obviously educational purposes, and they mm -hmm. just sent you to the West. Mm -hmm. Um. Besides the states, where else were people sent? Do you know? Like, did any was anyone ever sent? Well, I guess I'm sure people were sent to the yeah, United Kingdom. Yeah, sure. a lot of people. A lot of people. If they like, I said, if they can't make it to America, a lot of people all through mm -hmm. Europe, mm -hmm. and being out, being out ties to to London, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of Ghanaians went to Europe, and you know, I mean, some of my family are. That's what they chose. They mm -hmm. migrated to Europe, and that's what you know. That's where they made a life for themselves, and they stayed over there. Some, like I said, some went for school and. You know, maybe you, you said you had an idea of coming back, but then that, you know, things changed, life changes, so they just kind of stayed and settled. Mm -hmm. yep. And I think it's interesting the fact of how many Ghanaians live in the UK, you know, even with the whole mm -hmm. historic past, it's it, it, it's a pretty quick jump um, to go there as opposed to the States, a little bit closer to Ghana, and there's, a, and there's also a huge network of people there, mm -hmm. right? I almost want to say the network was larger there than it was on the west and the east coast in the beginning. Yeah. Um, I don't know where the numbers are now, but uh, I definitely have a lot of relatives in London and around. So yeah. it's you know it's even though everyone's yeah. even though the older generation still little is still very bitter of mm -hmm. <laughs> of colonial rule. Yeah. Uh, it it is still a country people go to because it does offer a lot of you know support and successes. Yeah. So for america now and mm -hmm. the u.s africans you meet and mm -hmm. for your own son do you foresee that you will be sending him back at some point do you feel that ghana is in a place because right now ghana is really is flourishing in a lot it's of ways flourishing. it is flourishing yeah would you would you do that would you send a relative would you send anyone else there do you feel that need or not? i don't feel that need because i say that i think i think um when my parents came in. It was a different time, mm -hmm. and they were trying to make a way and trying to make a, you know, trying to make a way for me and my siblings. But now, we are the results of that way. So, like, life is different for like, you know, myself and my sisters and and my brother. Now it's like it's different for us. So, like, that whole like, you know, what I mean, like, we're not here 
as immigrants trying to make a way, we're like, we're acclimated to the system, you know, we're working, mm-hmm. you know, we schooled here, you know, those kind of things. So going back home or like, like, you know, like my four year old son, for him to go back home is to, for him to know where he comes from. Mm-hmm. As opposed to me sending him like, oh, you know what? Hey, uh, you're going to be here for a few years. Okay. I'll see you like, see you when you're eight. No, <laughs> like that time, that's not needed anymore. Like <laughs> uh, he can go, he can go Bye. and spend it. He can go spend a summer with his aunts and his mm-hmm. uncles and things mm-hmm. like that. His grand aunts mm-hmm. and grand uncles. But it's you know it's different. So I have my like my friends who do go home with their children, go back home to Ghana, and they love it. And they, then the kids they they say they go outside, they play all day. They, the kids in the neighborhood, and mm-hmm. when they get back here, they're sad. Like, oh, why are we back here? And I, I <laughs> it's winter. Back, yeah, I want to <laughs> go back to Ghana. You know, but you hear it. So it's like for me, it's like him knowing where he comes from. You know, because I'm sure he'll ask me one day, like you know, the meaning of his name and his last name. Why does it sound different? And I have to explain to him. You know, mm-hmm. we're part of the world that you know. His family, you know, his grandparents, his you know, and his great grandparents, where they come from. It's so important to have that connection. Yeah, exactly. So to be able to tie the two from him makes sense, you know. So as he gets older, he understands that he, you know, he has, he comes from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. He, he has a story to tell. And and that's so important because I feel like I grew up with cousins who went back, and maybe the the feeling wasn't as they didn't love Ghana as much, but they were a little bit older. Yeah. They were. They'd really acclimated into the States. And I feel like that four to six age is good. Whereas they were probably, my cousin was like seven to 10. And mm-hmm. so she was, she, she would like acclimated and then she went to Ghana for a couple of years and all three of them did. And I just remember them coming back after a few years. And I was just like, hmm. it was just interesting because their perceptions was different and you know, mm-hmm. their tree was like obviously perfect. And I was like this person who had still stayed back and my parents hadn't sent me back cause they didn't really want to. And yeah, you know, with their own ideas of what they wanted. And, you know, so mm-hmm. it was, they definitely have, I think in that regards, a, a stronger pull and connection to Ghana because they've yeah. always gone back a lot more, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas for me, it was like such a big push to go back. And, mm-hmm. and when I did, I traveled everywhere and I will continue to go back when I can. So it's one of those things of just kind of um, recognizing that is that is like your homeland. Like that is a place that you can go back. Yeah. I have like an ample family mm-hmm. network there exactly. um you know and if i had kids i would definitely drop my kids off there for a while and i mean even now as an adult and <laughs> you speak to people who mm-hmm. are i mean african-americans of mm-hmm. course who have been here and their families were here you know through migration of slavery and they honestly say they wish that they could identify with actually where mm-hmm. they come from they know they okay i'm from africa mm-hmm. that's what they say i know i'm some but i want to know exactly mm-hmm. where and the for not to be biased, but the thing about Ghana is that Ghana's been able to offer that 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 feeling of home for a lot of people, you know, because of the way the the culture is set up. You know, you know, it's a it's a it's a West African culture with a Western feel. So you get the best of both worlds. So it's like I always tell people who like if you want to go to a country, yeah, you go to Ghana because it's like a good transition into africa if you've never been africa a exactly day in your life you I, know you kind of mm-hmm. it's a way to like kind of warm you know get your feet wet you know kind of warm up to the to, to the to the to the environment and to the culture so a lot of people do mm-hmm. choose ghana as a place to start off with so like you know that's that's one thing that is like is as proud i say as a Ghanaian that you know our country has become a place where people can you know you hey you know what it's 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 a place where you can identify you know kind of it's a grassroots yeah it's so true though mm-hmm. i am in my university so i said international relations and 
in Spanish. So I've lived in Spanish speaking countries for a while, but mm. I had friends who did the like semester in Ghana study because abroad. study yeah, abroad in yep, Ghana yep, exactly. and they came back, you know, speaking a little bit of Chui and everything. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, okay, interesting. And, and a lot of schools chose Ghana. Yeah, Why? Yeah. Because it is, it is safer than mm-hmm. most West African countries. It's yeah. more stable and yeah. you could, and as you said, it has that culture of in- inviting people. Mm-hmm. So it is a great place to like send kids. Um, mm-hmm. And there are all these programs that I'm learning about yeah. recently that are taking tour groups to yeah. Ghana. Tour and, groups. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I even, I even read recently there, um, there is like an African American community there, mm-hmm. and what they do is for those who want to migrate, because there are African Americans who have chosen to migrate and make Ghana their home. They have like kind of like programs or like what they call seminars, like a how-to. If you want to come here, these are things you need, and mm-hmm. they meet maybe once or twice a month. You know these things, and you didn't know these programs existed. Mm-hmm. And exactly, and reading some articles, you talk about like the heavy influx of migration from. A lot of African Americans who've chosen to make Ghana their homes, you know, and this is where they they stabilize their their families and want to make a living for themselves. And Ghana has been chosen as a place, so it's like, okay, that's something to be proud of. And also the whole movement, um, in Vanity, well, the article in Vanity Fair that came back mm-hmm. that was about like going back to Africa and going back to Ghana and Ghana mm-hmm. opening its doors to people. Yeah. Uh, that for me just reminded me, or really touch on the fact that mm-hmm. Ghana really does want people to come back. It's yeah. very open to, yeah. you know, the influx of people it who is. originally from, yeah. originally, you know, from there or yeah. not just yeah. to like be there and exhort yeah. the culture. Yeah. Because I think even for the, um, the dual citizenship uh, program that they said, they even set in place that even if you are adopted, so meaning you could be, you know, an, an, an African American who was adopted by, a Ghanaian family that would give you right of passage to become a citizen. So mm-hmm. they even added adoption into, oh, wow. the, into the mix. So I was wow. like, wow, that's like, that's mm. really, really, you know, open mm-hmm. for people. That's really intense. Yeah. That's great, though. It's yeah. also very interesting because mm-hmm. it's like, you could just have so many people like, I'm Ghanaian, like yeah. <laughs> by adoption. Uh, but also, I think like we have to speak about is the fact that, you know, in the 80s and the 90s during the like Pan African movement, how many people I've met. And I'm sure you've met who have now like Ghanaian names or West African names or Ka mm-hmm. names. Yeah. And, you know, when I, you know, tell people I'm, you know, Ghanaian and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm, my name is Abana. And I'm like, yeah. oh, interesting. They're like, yeah, I renamed myself like, yeah. you yeah. know, 10 years ago because I feel more connected to mm-hmm. that culture and the name of my, you know, slave captors is not the name I want to keep. Yes, exactly. And, yeah. and I'm always like, well, well valid valid yeah, and yeah, keep yeah, going yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. Like, yeah yeah i can say how you have met very <laughs> uh strong passionate people who are passionate about um africa i mean even in college like i've met white professors who mm-hmm. knew so much about the land so much of culture that they didn't like they took it so seriously and once they found out that you were from west africa or ghana or a place they were just so fascinated and they would tell you things about the place that you don't even know so it's like people are you know like I guess awoke or understand like you know what's going on like you said like you know people say you know what I'm taking the name Kwabana I'm taking mm-hmm. the name Kweku or, mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be Abana Ajwa you know that's my name now mm-hmm. you know so they are really like you know like in depth and tuned to the culture so in terms we talked a lot about push and pull factors socioeconomic factors um let's talk about dating mm-hmm. dating in Ghana versus dating in the states versus all that mm-hmm. all that because yep. 
you mentioned that your parents knew each other mm-hmm. from like you know s- their family's houses were close right. my parents family's houses were also close like mm-hmm. they grew up knowing each other for yeah. a while yeah. and they're friends and then they started dating right what's that like when you leave a community where everyone kind of knows each other mm-hmm. and then they transplant their lives to another country mm-hmm. um and they have kids like what's that whole process with dating like were your parents like, I want you to date a Ghanaian? Were they like, we're open to all? Were they like, West African would be preferable? Was My it- mom was never one of those um, who like forced, I guess they forced me to like, I had to be with like my fellow. Mm-hmm. And I, my, my father, like he, because he would, he would like the idea, but mm-hmm. he never like pushed it. Like some parents I know that, you know, that's it. Like, hey, don't introduce me to anybody who is not from the same mm-hmm. part of the world as we are from. And, you know, they're very sticklers for that. So, most children do end up, you know, mm-hmm. marrying, I guess it's called a marry within. So mm-hmm. they kind of marry within or date within. So with intentions of, of, you know, being with somebody from their culture. So I was kind of grew up like my parents were like a little bit liberal on that aspect. Like my mom's never really one who pushed for me to be with, you know, someone from Ghana or had to be either Ghana or nothing. Like she wasn't like one of those parents. So she didn't do that to me, but I know that others went through that. And, um, and I think when you said dating, I think within our culture, it's more, I think dating happens, but they're like, you know, they're looking for the what's next. Like the, they're looking yeah. for the final <laughs> chapter. Like, okay, yeah, you that, you said as your girlfriend, but like, when where's is, it going? Yeah. When is the wedding? Like, where, you know, <laughs> so you want, yeah, when, is the, when are we getting, you know, that's what they want. They want everything, you know, your, your, your aunt says, I want to wear yeah. my kente, you know, that's what they want, you know, so um, dating happens, but not that much it's like more like you know even when i go back and i'm speaking to some of my friends you know their end goal is like you know they want to get married they want to get married they want to get married and it's like culture that's what's like it is like you don't date much you know you kind of just like they like kind of like they just get to it and you know that time you know to know each other it doesn't really happen which i'm not too happy about was like you know this whole thing about we need to get married to get married so it's like that's what they know that's what they see it's like people don't date people are you know getting married and they watch their peers getting married so mm. it's like okay when is it going to be my turn you know so people are dating which is i mean what's the correct thing to do you date with intent to get married but i think for there it's like the person you're dating you're going yeah, to marry it's, it's accelerated exactly accelerated so it's like you know if they're dating for a while, they're trying to figure out a way they can, you know, gather themselves and organize their family to go see the girl's family to see, hey, what can we do? That whole meeting of the people's, like, I get it. Mm-hmm. it that seems to happen, but it happens a lot later here. Like, in the States, yeah. it happens later, whereas there, it happens early. It like, very happens early, yeah, because mm-hmm. they know who you are. The mom knows who you are. She sees who you are. She's, you're coming over. She's cooking for you. She's calling her son, you mm-hmm. know. So once those mm-hmm. things are happening, it's like, okay, I need to do something, you know, so. And what do you think is, like, the average amount of time for beginning to date in courtship like nine months mm, it can be depending on some relation some you hear some are very shorter than that you know oh, i like, know <laughs> so it's uh-huh. it's it's yeah it can be shorter it can uh-huh. be a little bit longer but like i said everything's always with the intention of you know dating and marriage mm-hmm. and and so and would you say that um for example in terms of dating and uh like when you go back to ghana are they immediately trying to set you up are they are your relatives like well uh-huh. no you're, you're ready you know not well you know what not i was telling someone it's recently like not so much then now yes because uh, my, my i just lost my mom in march and then my all my aunts came all came up for the funeral 
They all came to my place and they're looking at my place. Oh, this is a nice place. You're here by yourself. Like what? You can't be by yourself. Okay. You got to find somebody. It's time for you to take like, care of yeah, you. Yeah, all so that. You need to take care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay. I'm just saying, okay. So that was like the first time ever that I really faced a whole like, oh, mm-hmm. you need to, you know, yeah, you need to find someone. But I'm like, oh, I'm okay. Auntie, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm cool. <laughs> I'm America, good. Like, I'm, I'm good. good. Like, what do you mean you're good? Like, I'm good. Like, you know, so like. What about for your sisters, though? Because that's different. For mm. girls, there's like, well, there's that biological clock, but there's also the cultural clock in Ghana. Yeah. Like, I remember when I went, my grandmother was like, are you dating anyone? Are you going to get married? I was like, I'm 21. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I have 20. Like, it's not there. She's yeah. like, I already had a child at your age. Yeah. I don't know what you're and doing. Just, I mean, that's just that's exactly because, like you said, the the bio clock and being a you know woman is like, hey, what are you doing? Like, you know, are you seeing somebody and asking you because, you know, they're expecting that and like you said they're telling me by this time they had children like i look at it, like my mom was 23 when she had me but see those are different times mm-hmm. like someone comes to me my kisses and now comes to me at 23 says she's pregnant i'm like what you know but and you know so my mom was married by 22 you know had me by age 23 different times mm-hmm. now it's like you know someone's coming saying gonna marry at 22 and get have a baby by 23 like what like no way like you know you're still a kid mm-hmm. but different times yeah i've noticed though and i think i'm just comparing to my cousins and other relatives there seems to be this spot of like 30 to 32 and gone and also in the states mm-hmm. where everyone's kind of that there's like this huge push to be married and to have kids mm-hmm. and you know i i've had relatives who've gotten engaged within three months i've had others that yep. they were dating their significant other for a while but it was pretty much like once they were married, the baby was coming next. Yeah, you know, yeah, there was no, yeah. there was no like three months, six months. It was like, okay, you're married now, yeah, children now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's very much like a, it's inter- it's 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 weird. It's weird because I come from a pretty progressive family, and they never really said much to me. And then I moved back, and you know, the questions always like, who are you dating? Are you are you dating anyone? Are you going out? Like you mm-hmm. should be going out and meeting mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And I know that my mom cuts off the conversation before my dad's like, because your clock is about to like click, click. Because my mom's like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) because I, you know, I understand it. I agree with it. And I understand. But I just I won't rush myself to do something because I also feel like marriage is a whole it's like a whole process. Right. Like it's a whole thing. But like you said, like it's it's one of those things where even now in this in this in this time they're wearing like the young Ghanaians mm. or you know wherever you come from the young west africans like that pressure or that mm-hmm. time to get married it's like like they said the clock is ticking they'll they're tell like, you clock oh they'll tell ticking. you too the <laughs> clock is ticking not just for women say for guys like hey you know you want to do this you want to do that like you know i'm it does it does they uh they kind of do put you know a little bit pressure because that's because cause that's what they know mm-hmm. that's what they went through they look at you like what by yet by the time the age you are now i already had like all of you guys and i'm working i'm doing this and doing that and you're like mm-hmm. that chill this is like <laughs> you know what i mean it's different now you know what i mean it's like it's more stuff here you know it's such like, a it's such a comparison. <laughs> like chill, I got student loans and I got mad stuff to pay. It's like yeah, it's, it's not the same time anymore. So yeah, and they're like, well, what are you talking about? But yeah, it's 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 there. But I guess um, a lot of people are responding to it, and you know, I guess either saying no, mm-hmm. standing the ground, and some are just saying they just go along and and do end up, you know, yeah, they do. Yeah. So like for your sisters, did they? 
are they are they married? Are they? No, they're not married. No. Oh, none of them married. No, not married. No. Yes, yeah, I married. love it. Yeah, I love married, it. But, you know. And they're only a couple of years younger than you, yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah, one is three years mm-hmm. younger. Then I have one in her twin. She's about twenty eight, mm-hmm. twenty eight thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And I was like twenty five. Mm-hmm. One is twenty one. So they all in their twenties. Yeah. Do they feel pressure to be married or to have kids or any of that? Mm, they don't. I don't think they do as much. Yeah. Didn't think they have also pets. there's already one yeah, 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 so. <laughs> there's already one so mm-hmm. it's nice like in my family there's none so and my sister's already said no so it's all on me right. um but all right yeah dating it's just it's interesting to hear and to see it because mm-hmm. obviously it's a very it can be a very tense subject you know mm-hmm. marriage divorce yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know anyone who's divorced mm-hmm. in ghana i mean you're divorced but divorced, you're yeah. divorced and how how did that go through when you were like, I'm getting divorced, where people were like, ooh. No, see, mine wasn't. I didn't get. I didn't get the whole like. I was just telling someone that I didn't get the whole like come together. My family, your family, sit down. It was like this is a clear decision that I made, and we, you know, I made it. So it was like no one's gonna try to shift or change my <laughs> my thought on this. Is something you know um, that I decided. You know, it was just that it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you know. My ex-wife, she's a great woman. Mm-hmm. She just wasn't, you know, the right fit. Form, the right mm-hmm. fit, and that's mm-hmm. what it was. So it was like you just kind of part of ways. We understood like she's young, I'm young. You know, we're gonna, you know, gonna make a life. You know, we have a kid. We're gonna, mm-hmm. you know, make you know, give him the best life we possibly give him. But um, I know for me, it's like um, now it's um, it's funny because I take like my upbringing and things like that, and when I do meet and I do date, women can see that like, oh, you're different. Like you know, they see like the whole like. You know, they'll call it proper, you know, they'll call it like, oh, you're proper, you're different, you know, like in terms of your, 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 um, your etiquette and going out and they said, okay, and I tell them, okay, well, I did grow up in Ghana, West Side, and I was, oh, okay, that's why, <laughs> you know, I get, the, oh, that's, that's why, because, you know, then I, I guess I'm not the norm and I used to that. So it's like, they come across, come across a little bit different. So I do get that, you know, when going out and, you know, meeting different women and things like that. So it's, uh, I guess it's. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's like to to my advantage. advantage. Yes, it's to my advantage in some sense. But like I said, all that stuff kind of plays in. So like I said, your background and where you come from and growing up, how it kind of creates you and it creates a staple. You know. Mm -hmm. Yep. And would you say you follow more traditional gender roles in terms of like men having paying for things versus not? Like, do you split? Do you because you got you got both got both cultures? Are you someone who pays? I'm both cultures, Mm -hmm. but I'm still. I'm more, I guess, when I call the gentleman, you know, I'll pay and make sure things are taken care of. You know, that's kind of like my old school tradition background. Sometimes, you know, I guess the American calls like, hey, you know, what goes give and pull, you know, mm-hmm. you go out. It's like, you know what, maybe I'll pay. And the person's insisting to pay. I'm like, no, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of like pulling your teeth. Like, oh, okay, okay, I'll give it. Okay, once in a while, fine. But I kind of adapt to the like, you know, you know, the man taking the lead and, you know, kind of offering to pay and, you know those things you know I, I call it being a gentleman but you know mm-hmm. that's kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like i call it being a gentleman yeah because that's mm-hmm. how i was raised like you know a gentleman does this and it's how gentleman behaves is how he moves so that's kind of just how I, I i follow and i move mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. 
That's like your dating video, right? Ah, you <laughs> put you on a dating app, Match.com, <laughs> your little video about yourself. Yeah. Um, no, but it's it's important, and it's it's also very pivotal because you can tell when people are used to a man paying, or if they're always like, "I want to pay," mm-hmm. you know, and then it becomes this whole back and forth, like, mm-hmm. "Oh no, she's trying to pay," or like, "I'm yeah. just trying to be polite." Like, yeah. this is what I do. Yeah, and I I've <laughs> heard. I mean, I've heard from other people now. It's like the thing now is like. I guess West African men, like you know, as I say, they say, "Oh, you got you, you guys are the wave now," because you know the culture and the mannerisms and things like that, and you know the chivalry's not dead for us. So we still, you know, we still believe, you know, you know, opening doors and taking care of our ladies and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So like you know, they, uh, you know, they lean towards that. So yep. yeah, I definitely think it's. I feel like chivalry shouldn't die. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's nice to have somebody who considers you and takes care of you. I also come from a school of thought of never going on a date with the intent that that person's going to pay for you. Mm-hmm. Just because mm-hmm. of course. you should never be in that assumption. Exactly. Every, plan, uh, every plan should have a backup plan. Yep. So you can't just... You can't just rely on that person to be mm-hmm. the person just to provide everything. That's mm-hmm. you know that's that would be silly just to go you know go in something all yeah. eggs in one basket, right? But I've definitely I know as a younger kid when I was a lot poorer, I've just been like, well, I know this man's gonna pay for it, mm-hmm. and I felt bad. It's like the feminist in me was like, oh, you should be paying for it, and mm-hmm. you should offer mm-hmm. the offer, and I do that more now. But mm-hmm. just reminding myself of you know in the house I grew up in, my father always made sure to pay and always, mm-hmm. but my mother. Being who she is is also like, you know, you are a woman. You can do this. Like, you have the power within you to do this. Mm. Don't always depend on the man to do everything for you because yep. that's not going to really help you out. Yep. Um, but it's it's just interesting to to, to straddle those worlds mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, whether it be your dating or your identity. I think when you spoke about that you were held back and I had a very similar situation because I had my grandma come and stay with me. Mm-hmm. And so she only spoke to me. She's like, oh, you don't need to speak English. And my mom was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll try to talk to her in English. And then I went to kindergarten actually a semester later because my grandmother kept being like, it's too early. She's too young. Mm-hmm. Like, she shouldn't be going. Right. And then I went in and didn't speak. I was just silent. You yep. know, I think. Yep. And that happens a lot with kids. It like, they just, they just go kind of. Because you didn't know what to say. Yeah, and yeah, and they, and they thought I was. They thought there was something wrong, wrong with, with me, you, yep. and I was like, the, and my parents were like, "There's nothing wrong with her. I think she's just like stressing." So, what they were told in the '80s was like, "Stop speaking to her," and so yeah. they stopped for a while, and then they just stopped. Yeah. You know, and my yeah. my grandmother left as well. So there yeah. was no one, because speaking to your kid in your native tongue, like it takes. Like mm-hmm. it's it's work. Yeah, like it you need work. to like practice, and you it know, work, yeah. and so I. I, I, I used to be really angry at them and then I realized like, you know, they did the best they could with what they had and mm-hmm. they both were very hard workers. So yeah. doesn't mean that I won't be fluent in tree because I'm like, well, hit or mm-hmm. miss there. Now Spanish is perfect, but my tree is like gone. Yeah. <laughs> but it is something that for me with children in the future, I will make sure that they are fluent like it, i don't i will have a very different perception of how i would want my kids to be raised because i yeah. want them to feel that i want them to feel emboldened by their culture yeah. and not feel like it's weighing them down because yeah. that's what it does to you when you're a kid yeah. you know you start yeah. to think oh there's something wrong mm-hmm. like i encourage like i know for me like i i and i sp- i speak to my son i say things to him but i because um his grandmom, like his mm. my ex wife's mom, I always encourage her, like, please do speak, you know. Mm-hmm. But she was like, No, she was scared that the whole thing, like you said, mm-hmm. the whole shutting down would happen where he wouldn't know what to say mm-hmm. after a while because kids do that. Like, some kids could just go to school and they'll, you know, speak the English and yeah, then, and they'll be fine, yeah, fine, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then it's fine. But then some others are like, it becomes like a 
you know, they get quiet. And I know for, and I, what, I'm, what is funny is like, if you notice for a lot of um, cultures or people where the parents don't speak any English, but the kids do, they can hold on. They can speak both because exactly. they, have, they translate. My mom said, da, 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 you know, because the, the, you know, the English is not that great. They'll be speaking to the kid, whatever language they speak, and the, and the kid will translate. Oh, she said this. Mm-hmm. You said that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So they, they hold it. They hold it. They hold it together. Yeah, it's 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 clearly possible. Mm-hmm. Like if you give, if your child is struggling, there's always ways to help support them. But yeah. I think in the immediate place, kids get, parents get really scared. And they're like, yeah. oh no, they're going to be different. Yeah, they're be separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. even if your kids are separate for a while, it doesn't really matter because yeah. at some point, like they will catch up. And if they don't, you like yeah. you structure it, right? Like for me, knowing the language is because, like I said, I grew being a grew up there those mm-hmm. years speaking with you know people and, mm-hmm. and speaking with children and of my age group kind of helped me hold the language so my mom was like same thing like not not so much different but she used to say that she just felt funny speaking to us in the local language but then i would hear her speak with people so mm-hmm. i would still understand what's <laughs> being said so i would understand mm-hmm. what's being said but then like well like it became a little bit choppy but as i started going back more frequently mm-hmm. and i started like of course you know you using it you start applying it it starts coming back to you so it got, it got better and better mm-hmm. so it was one of those things that it's like you know getting back on a bicycle and started you know and why did your mom feel like it was weird that's really interesting i don't know she just always just really felt weird it was only once in a while when she was wanted to say something and she didn't want like someone else to know that she would say it to me yeah, in, at exactly. an older age <laughs> uh-huh. but before when we were kids like when we were young she just always just spoke english so, mm-hmm. so my sister she doesn't yeah she doesn't speak yeah you know she hears things but she doesn't understand what's being said yeah and like me because i grew up there so i'm a little bit more grounded mm-hmm. in my foundation and i can speak yeah yeah that's what also happened with my sister i feel like they only spoke trinchui but then she had all these there's a lot of things going on as she was the only like what she was only black child for days firstly mm-hmm. she's only foreigner for days also mm-hmm. so she was constantly like battling with the fact that like she knew another language no one else did and then the school psychologist was like i don't know she's kind of acting out so they had that so they mm-hmm. had that with the first one so they're they're already like anxious about the second one yeah so, exactly so they want to yeah, yeah go to like, they wanted to create that thing yep mm-hmm. so it's been funny that like for me i've always just kind of like reached into to know as much as possible because i felt like there was almost like a little bit of like a like a wall mm-hmm. and my mom definitely felt weird sometimes about talking to me and shui and then she immigrated here and like when she was like 19 like when she was like 21 mm-hmm. so Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom it's like 50 years later she's a whole different person mm-hmm. and she definitely connects a lot with her american culture but depending on when your ca- parents came and and how they perceive themselves mm-hmm. and how they like pass that on to your kids it's so yeah. important to recognize that also yeah. be grateful they did what they did but like yep. all yeah. the identity stuff they mm-hmm. had to deal with yeah and exactly i think f- like probably like just like your mom mm. coming at such a young age she's so like a young woman mm-hmm. so that was a you know it was a lot of years to get acclimated to the culture but some come here you know not saying an older age but they're already established as an older woman and mm-hmm. coming here and it's, mm-hmm. and so there's a difference between yeah. that you know like yeah. that thing yeah you know? so yep. true it's something i didn't realize until mm-hmm. i got older i was like i'm old at 22 i was like i already know then you look back and you're like oh i had no idea <laughs> yeah. and you like how you frame yourself mm-hmm. is so important all right, so one last question. Um, in terms of, in terms of, uh, LG, okay, so I, we talked about race, we talked about dating, um, push and pull factors. What is the, what is, what is the, what is like the whole LGBTQI experience in Ghana versus here? Because when I was in Ghana, 
everyone and I like have friends who are gay and all this stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that was like surging. And that was like mm-hmm. over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And everyone was just like, we don't care. We just don't need to see it. And mm-hmm. we don't want a part of it. Yeah. And obviously now you have, you know, Afropunk, which is all about like the trans mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, yeah. and Afrochella and mm-hmm. the whole perception. Yeah. What is, what is that like? What is that whole perception of LGBTQI in, in Ghana versus here? Like what are people, how do people sp- view it? It's, evolving and mm-hmm. it's changing because before like you said there was this taboo mm-hmm. because we all know that people you know are mm-hmm. you know that's what that's what you know that's their preference of choice you know whether it's you know being with a man or mm-hmm. being with a woman mm-hmm. but it's it but it was like it was so hidden and now i think it's more open because like i said the times have changed the culture have changed mm-hmm. the world is more accepted to it so and like I said, a place like Ghana, we're not like some of these other countries where it's like strictly banned and mm-hmm. it's like against the law and all these things that you hear about. So there is more of awareness to it. There's a more, an underst- I would say, understanding opening op- openness to it. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, I was pretty much say it's starting to be accepted, you know, some sense mm-hmm. of you know, culturally mm-hmm. that, you know, Hey, I just might be happen to be different, or my my choice is you know different from yours, mm-hmm. as opposed to before. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's you know because I hear about friends you know who are, you know, who have family members down there who are you know whether it's gay, mm-hmm. you know, lesbian, whatever the case may be, and it's more accepted. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Ghana definitely has less r- stricter rules, and there isn't not necessarily that being gay is a is yeah, a choice but exactly. like it's, it's just choice, it's yeah. who you are but it's who you are yeah i i i ask because um i had a friend who is traveling and he is currently in lebanon and he was asking me you know different countries to go to and he's like oh i don't know what the rules are versus mm-hmm. like what's friendly and i was like you know what i don't really know i can't really tell you yeah. um i know what i've heard and what i've seen but i, I know ghana is not like a uganda situation yeah, you exactly. know it's like it's nothing like that it's not like that it's nothing like that yeah and i and anywhere you go no matter like whether you you know if you're gay or not like mm-hmm. you just it's about being aware mm-hmm. and knowing the cultural yeah. norms so i've definitely been i was just i was like oh i'm actually quite not sure i'm not sure mm-hmm. you know and and there was recently elections and there's a lot of changes and there's a lot of you know western culture that is really being like flooded into ghana so mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to say the least, right? Yeah, it's interesting because, like I said, it's one of the things that you can say that protocol that those, as I say, oh, we don't have that here. No, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, so everyone, you know what I mean? We're all different people. So it's like that acceptance of, okay, you know what? Mm-hmm. It's not just America that, you know, we have, you know, pride, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, we have pride and, you know, have rights and yeah. the LGBT community mm-hmm. has rights and other mm-hmm. parts of the world are accepting it. So, let you know that you know the world is changing the world is slowly changing slowly changing (laughs) and is there anything else you would like to add that you feel the listeners should hear about you or Ghana or about the future and the past and about you yourself and how you've come to be the person you are um I think I mean for me just the overall evolving and like I said just coming from somewhere in my background of course like I said being born here but like I said I connect so much with, you know, being from Ghana and, like, the whole, you know, 360 full circle. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, I know for me, like, it's funny because when I came into this country, came back, you know, I was a, and I was a kid with a funny last name. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now it's like, <laughs> I guess having a funny last name is considered cool. Yeah, now it's cool. It's cool. It's, it's so cool, cool now. It's cool now. And, you know, the place <laughs> you come from is cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, like, 
you know, like you're on Instagram and people are always in, you know, Ghana, 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 Ghana. And people are, you know, hitting you up on Instagram. Hey, you're from Ghana, right? Hey, where can I go? Where's the, you know, happening places? Where should I stay? All these, you know, so it's like, wow, mm-hmm. it's like it's 360, you know, it's very 360, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, how things can change. Yeah. And I, and I hope it continues to be like that mm-hmm. as opposed to because I feel like culturally people are more interested in, 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 in yeah. Ghana. But politically, it's like mm-hmm. it's even harder for foreigners to get from Ghana or in other places. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like our politics are definitely not mirroring the yeah. cultural changes that are swiftly yeah. like taking us all by storm. Yeah. It's very disheartening because when I talk to people about visas and things like that, people don't understand how difficult it is in the first place to leave. Yeah, leave. And it's, and it's funny you said that was a, a thought that just came to mind, like the time of the time when my parents came and I'm sure your parents came, mm-hmm. this is all pre 9 11. So all these strict laws that were in play were are in play now were not in play back then because coming to time when it was pre 9-11 I mean coming here wasn't as difficult as it is now so you have people who are coming here post 9-11 so that experience alone is different from someone who came here before there was a 9-11 like I remember um, back in the day when you used to go see people off the airport you go all the way up to the gate and now you see family members you're picking them up you gotta wait all the way outside by security and these are the people first time even in the country so they don't even know what to say they don't know how to say what to say to the immigration officer the customer officer to ask them all these questions and you're just waiting 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 and you know maybe an hour or two later they come out so it was like it's a different different time so like coming here or my parents coming here back then that pre-9-11 you know it's it totally different times mm-hmm. and it's something to note yep. because any type of whether uh, like a threat to America changes mm-hmm. the ability for anybody outside to come in. Yeah. And it's, there's quotas. There are yep. very tight quotas and particularly yep. for African nations, Asian nations, you, you need to be the smartest of the smart for leaving exactly. and you're getting a scholarship. Exactly. You are the cream of the cream. Exactly. And there are so many people who are desperately trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when people understand that and then they, and then they look at how many people are actually let in then they can really start to recognize yeah. how hard it is to get from one country to the next. Very much so. And that's why I'm doing this because yeah. the stories of people like you, the stories of people like my family or anyone else's family are, are important, should be told. Yeah. So people understand. So, yeah, so. thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> it was a pleasure. <laughs> and you. we will always be in touch. Thank Bye. you. All right. Ooh, thank you for joining me today to talk to Gabe and hear his story. It's rich, it's thick, it's deep, and I can definitely relate. So uh, thank you for all the good stuff and um, tune in next week for another great story. Bye.